0: Green Left Weekly, Weekly
1: Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests and that's Green Left Weekly.
0: It's a people's voice committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability,
2: democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements.
1: It exposes
0: the lies and distortions of the power brokers, and helps us to better understand the world around us.
2: <laughs> good morning. Um, good morning from Jacob in Green Left Weekly Radio, and from Zane.
0: All right, we're back once again.
2: Alright. So, um, I thought i would start off, um, you know, talking about some good news for a change, like in terms of positive news stories, um, that have been happening in the past, you know, two weeks or a week. Yeah. Um, and in last week's program, um, we discussed, um, the suspension of Rose Ward, uh, academic at La Trobe who, um, made a, a comment on Facebook about, um, the Australian flag being racist. Um, it was found out um, by her employer uh, and um, which is La Shrobe University and they suspended her with pay um, due to sort of a mass kind of like, you know, op um show um, so, um, so, um, so, expression of solidarity from the unions, especially from the NTU and um, the people, um, and all, which put mass pressure on to on the Shrobe University. She was actually reinstated and went back to work this Monday. Word. And she had a big um, um there was Here's a big welcome. big there was a big um rally welcoming her at the Shrobe University. So yeah, that's one of the positive news stories that happened.
0: As it should be, and of course Rose Ward was. Um one of the creators of the Safe Schools program, which was really important, um, tackling homophobia at, at a school age before it becomes entrenched in, in young people. So, uh, yeah,
2: really important program. And, um, well, that was probably part of the reason why she got suspended the first day because there was so much... It's been such a sort of hot kind of political issue um and mm. especially in the, how the Herald Sun and the Murdoch media like likes to denigrate the program and makes yeah. all these sort of false claims about it. Stage
0: of witch hunt against strong socialist women like mm. Roswood and Sue Bolton.
2: Yeah. Um, another positive story um, is... Uh, the, um, this happened, I think, a few weeks ago, but actually back in... This was actually at a rally I was actually at last year, but I had no idea this happened. Um, but um several New South um, Wales police off um this happened at the La at the anti reclaim counter sort of demonstration against Reclaim Australia in Sydney back in November. Oh, yes. Um, several New South um, Wales police officers um, were criticising court for allegedly grabbing um, the breasts and neck of an, an- of an anti-Reclaim Australia protest and then covering their actions up by deleting evidence, making up a false charge against her, lying under oath and attacking her in court. Mm. Um, she, um, Simone White was arrested at the Martin Place last year for allegedly assaulting Senior Constable John Wuss. Go. After a year-long court bail, a magistrate has thrown out the charges and ordered the police to pay White's legal costs because their arrest, investigation and subsequent prosecution were, in, were found to be improper.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I saw a video at the uh, Sydney Morning Herald website and it was showing the alleged <laughs> assault and it was clearly not. There was just a row of people being shoved along by the police. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Simone was thrown to the ground mm. And then trying to say, oh, you assaulted a police officer. Yeah, completely
2: be ridiculous. Because, um,
0: no, I didn't, you're lying. Or, well, actually yeah, going, um, was there was also, court. um,
2: there was also a rally, um, that happened in, um, um, in Blacktown, um, which is a very sort of culturally diverse place in Western Sydney. Basically mm-hmm. some, a group of racists decided to sort of, um, hold their own sort of rally, which was, you know, against, you know, immigration, against migration. Um, it was organized by the Party for Freedom, um, mm. which is extremist, um, Christian white national party that alleges that crimes by black people or by Muslims should be met with extreme penalty, but are silent when white people commit the same crimes. They say they're concerned about violence, career, but they're merely using it to vilify and dehumanize people of color. So these, um, this group held like a rally. Um, but they were counted um, by um, by a group um, by a large group of anti-racists, and they were surely outnumbered um, on that on, on la- this uh, last this Monday, which sure when right. that happened. So th- that's again another positive news story. I guess um, going to sort of um, the negative kind of news stories. It seems, um, in terms of what's happening, um, many have been probably been following um, the U.S. elections uh, with Bernie Sanders. Um, from recent um, news, it seems well and truly unlikely that Bernie Sanders will win the nomination, mm. um, uh, with Hillary Clinton already kind of declaring herself to be the winner. Um, within, and she's perf- she'll probably be perfect. She's well and truly ahead, especially with, um, the, a lot of the super delegates pledging, um, their support for her. However, um, though this is a, very, um, Bernie Sanders, um, the, no- um, it still hasn't, the nominations still aren't sort of like finished yet. There's still delegates to be won. And, um, Bernie Sanders is, um, repeatedly kind of, decide, um, not to stand down and endorse Hillary Clinton yet and is running all the way to the end. Mm. Um, but it does seem very unlikely that he'll win the nomination. Um, it's unclear what's going to be sort of happening next. Like what, what, what's going to be the kind of result of this sort of mass movement that Bernie Sanders has created because, um, he's repeatedly said that, um, if he were, if he were to lose, he would endorse, um, Hillary Clinton, um, but there's um some interesting things like the Greens Party, which is like a progressive, very left political party in um the US is actually calling on Bernie Sanders to join them on a joint ticket. Um mm, and, Jill Stein. Yeah, Jill Stein. Um as far as I know, the latest um sort of news story I read basically kind of it's very quite disappointing that um Bernie Sanders was basically sort of indicating kind of support for for um the um for, not for the greens paper but for um hillary clinton's um nomination so um to um on the on the pretence of um defeating um donald trump um so we yeah we'd have um but of course all of this is up in the air we'll have to kind of see what the results of this sort of mass movement um okay. it would be very it will be obviously be a big shame if it was all um all these all this sort of radicalisation, all these people sort of um, mobilising in support of Bernie Sanders, will just will suddenly or die off in support of Hillary Clinton yeah, to get defeat Donald Trump. Folded
0: into the Democratic machine. Yep. Yeah, and we spoke to uh, Comrade Steve O'Brien from Newcastle, who's a part of the Central Council of the Public Sector Association, and he's been following U.S. politics over the years, and he's Said that there's there's a risk that that will happen, and then it will be like the campaign for Jesse Jackson's nomination back in when was that? The early '80s, sometime. And there was this very promising kind of grassroots left candidate, um, Jesse Jackson. And then when he didn't make the nomination, then. All of that support that had been built up was folded into the Democratic machine for their sort of establishment candidate. So it's always been a risk, and it's certainly unfortunate that
2: Bernie might be going that way. Um... Terms of, there's been another news, um, another sort of thing. Not really, um, hasn't been kind of like printed in the Green Left Weekly yet, but I'm sure it will be in the future. Um, but just sort of um, following some union activity in all the way in Geelong, um, there was um, a group of um, cleaners, um, some workers who were cleaner um, workers were sacked from um, working as cleaners in Westfield, um, Geelong. Um, in response, um, there was a, a, a quite a large union mobilization from the United Voice protesting outside um, Westfield. Um, and also, also with the support of other unions in the, in the Geelong Trades Hall. Um, and, um, the response, um, I think what's actually happened afterwards is in response to that pressure, Westfield has actually employed the cleaners again. So they have, um, the workers have not actually lost their jobs and they've won them back, which is another, a good sort of positive news story showing the sort of value of union solidarity.
0: Bit and a struggle. bit of DA, a bit of direct action. Yeah. <laughs> Get, getting the goods. All right. All right, um, so I believe we're going to be talking to Sue Bolton, Councillor Sue Bolton from Moreland Council, about the meeting that happened on Wednesday night, yep, in which was they discussed the recent rally against racism,
2: because um, um, what what happened was. Um, Apparently, uh, a councillor in response to sort of um, the rally wanted to put a motion that, um, Moreland right now, the Moreland Council right now, um, has this banner called, um, Moreland is, um, stands, uh, I think it's, well, Moreland says no to racism. Mm. Um, but he wanted to, he, there was this, mo- uh, motion sort of that he's planned, We'll plan to put forward at this Wednesday meeting what's happened. <laughs> um, we'll d- we'll find out the results for, from um, interviewing Sue Bolton. Um, but the the motion was to replace that banner with um with a banner that says um, more than says yes to multiculturalism. Um, basically, a sort of tokenistic kind of um, promotion of multiculturalism instead of having the staunch kind of message of saying more than says no to racism and there was also another uh not might have been the same council we'll guess we'll find out from Sue Bolden um to to um because of the apparent chaoticness of the the rally which is the now and the violence that supposedly occurred which is um all being sort of sensationalized by the media as we sort of um explored in last week um one of the motions was that we'd um was that would have to um the count ca- you if you were to hold a protest in, say, Moreland, you would have to ask for a permit, which is, I guess, ridiculous because you don't need a permit to hold a protest or any kind of demonstration. Hmm. And it's one of our kind of fundamental human rights.
0: Hmm. Licence to protest. I didn't vote for a licence to protest. (laughs) It's like that licence to punt campaign from a few years back. Yes. Except in this case, we're talking about democratic protest, not throwing your money away into poker machines. Mm. All right, I'm gonna chuck on a bit of David Rovix. This is song for the Eureka Stockade. You're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR. Uh, we are just trying to raise Councillor Sue Bolton. I reckon she's had a pretty long week, of getting demonised, hunted down by some of the corporate media. So. She'll, she'll be there. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll get her on the line. Uh, in the meantime, a little bit more news, I believe. So, there's also the story. Duncan Hart, a uh, student who works part-time at Coles in Brisbane, has won a David and Goliath battle against his employer at the Shop and Distributive Allied Employees Association, or SDA, in the Fair Work Commission he claimed the enterprise bargaining agreement between Coles and his union left thousands of workers worse off than they would be under the award, and it was therefore invalid. And in a decision published on May 31, the Fair Work Commission agreed and ruled that the Coles EBA, which traded highly our Traded a higher hourly base rate for a cut in penalty rates for weekends and nights. Failed the, in inverted commas, better off overall test. The decision could force or has forced Coles to renegotiate wages and conditions for its workforce of 77,000 employees. I understand there's been a, a limited timeline put on Coles renegotiating that. It's pretty sort of immediate. So, yeah. Big ups to Duncan Hart, who I understand is a member of uh, Socialist Alternative. So, yeah. Good to see another Socialist Alternative member and unionist sticking it to the man and sticking it to the crummy SDA union. All right. And I believe we have got TV's... Sue Bolton on the line. Sue, are you there?
1: Yes. Hi. How's it going?
0: Pretty good. How are you?
1: I'm good, thanks. I'm good.
0: So tell us a bit about the council meeting on Wednesday night.
1: So this is just um, a follow-up to the Moreland Says No to Racism rally when um, one of the right-wing councillors decided to uh, try and follow this up by Um, moving a motion to um, remove the Moreland Says No to Racism banners and replace them with Moreland Says Yes to Multiculturalism and also to um, get council to look into requiring permits to hold rallies and marches and so forth. Anyway, we sort of had a bit of a. I, I was actually rather nervous that it might actually get passed. So we ran a bit of a campaign, a bit of an emailing and letter campaign, because this would be a really backward, backward step mm. um, and knee jerk reaction. Do you um, know,
0: Sue, of any precedent for this sort of permit arrangement between local. Like where local governments would require people to have a permit to protest?
1: Um I think there probably are other examples and I'm not quite sure of the situation in Sydney, whether it's the council or the police, but in Sydney there is a permit arrangement which is really massively problematic. Mm. Um and in the days of Bianchi Peterson's Queensland, which is where I grew up, um, you had to have a permit from the police and I meant that was a police. Um and it was a much more political uh, political kind of scenario, but it was um you know the police would routinely just for years would not issue permits at a time when people were on the street mm. and that's a day, a, those are days predating you know shopping all 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 year, all day, 24 um, hour shopping because in those days the shops shut on the weekend at 12 noon on a Saturday and so really there was just no one around on the streets and Saturday afternoon and Sunday. So if you didn't have the right to have a street march you know, on Saturday morning like no one would actually see you. Um, um, so yeah, so they just refused to grant any street marches. You had the right to march theoretically, but they just refuse. And, you know, every time there was a street march, I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds would get arrested as soon as you set foot on the street. So, uh, yeah, I, I just think it would be a really, really bad move. And, um, you know, because, you know, there has to be... You know, we've got a right to march in Victoria, and it would be... Um, Yeah, I mean, you can't say it wouldn't be political policing, but also, you know, the whole idea of, um, you know, going through the bureaucracy, usually it's a very bureaucratic kind of process, Mm -hmm. any kind of permission. And there's only one march I ever sort of had to negotiate with authorities for, and that was a climate emergency march when we had to... Make sure we had access to a particular park for a long period of time for a human sign, and uh, I swore never again. Such <laughs> 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 like a bureaucratic, tedious process through the Melbourne City Council. Mm.
0: Okay, and sorry, I interrupted you before. You were saying there was a bit of a campaign in the lead-up, uh, letter writing. I understand there was a bunch of people at the Moreland Council meeting showing showing support for the rally and, and against this proposed permit system and. The changes to the signage.
1: Yeah, I think that was really good. There was a good turnout of local community members to basically say, you know, on on all of those all of those accounts, and to also show that people supported the says No to Racism rally, because the rally has been so demonised in the media and by you know by the police by. Um, you know, by certainly by um, some of the other local councillors that um, it was important to show that you know there are real community members there, and people supported the rally, and um, people will not be deterred from having such rallies in the future. Um, and you know there were quite a few letters and emails that um, did arrive at Council, which was good to try and counteract the right wing right wing letters that had been received. Um, and also to make very clear the point that saying yes to multiculturalism does not mean the same thing as saying no to racism. Mm. I mean just saying, you know, I mean some people who support multiculturalism are the biggest racists you can get such as our Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull and Peter Dutton, the Immigration Minister and many others who would all profess to support multiculturalism. Meanwhile, they demonise refugees terribly and demonise Muslims terribly. Mm. And so there is an argument, which has also been uh, raised by the Greens Mayor of Moreland, who's also the Greens candidate for wills, Sam Ratnam, that um, that when you have right-wing racists like the United Patriots Front, um, Therefore, rally, anti-racist rallies will always end in violence. Therefore, we need to find another way of, um, you know, responding. And therefore, the best way is just to have celebrations of cultural diversity. So that was the logic of the argument she put forward. And, you know, I think that's massively problematic. You actually do have mm. to call out racism. Mm. It's not enough just to celebrate each other's cooking. Um, you know, you actually, yeah, I think it's a really conservative argument, and uh, and yeah, you do not address the issue if you just, you know, focus on multiculturalism, cultural diversity. Actually, have to make a stand against racism. Mm.
2: Um, so, what were kind of um, what was the results of the the council meeting in, um, in regarding these motions?
1: Well, the actually it was great. Both motions got voted down, um, which was really great. Um, it was uh, the voting was a bit unusual on each. Um, the mayor, the acting mayor, who's a Labor Party member, Leader Gillies actually had taken a strong stance in support of the rally, which was really good to see. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, so basically the two motions were voted down, but it was sort of interesting that the the Greens member actually voted for both motions. Um, And I think once their candidate for wills had taken this line, I think she felt obliged to keep going in this direction of, saying, you know, just support cult- multiculturalism, you don't need to say no to racism. But, um, so both motions got voted down. The motion that got voted up, which I voted against, was congratulating the police on the sterling job they'd done, so only two of us voted against <laughs> that. Because I actually think the police played a horrible, horrible role. I mean, firstly, they tried to pressure us to um, not have our rally. Mm. Um, you know, they put heavy pressure on the organisers of the rally. Then they put pressure on the council to pressure us into counselling the rally. <coughs> they didn't intimidate us. Um, and then when that failed and we managed to get council endorsement instead, then they went on the massive fear campaign in the media to discourage people from attending by saying it's going to be really violent, et cetera, et cetera. And then I suspect on the day i suspect uh, especially when you see what happened afterwards that you know the clash clashes were possibly even facilitated by the police just long enough for the media to get their photos um and then the police quickly shut down the clashes you know mm. after 30 seconds or a minute like that's really been a little time at all
0: yeah there was one video i saw and there was a Big line of police up at the uh, park adjacent to Bell Street, and all of the United Patriots front people started moving as a group out onto Bell Street, and there was no attempt by the police to to impede or block them. They just stood there and watched.
1: Yeah, you know, that's why I sort of think you know can't prove it, but I sort of strongly suspect they the there was some um, facilitation there um, especially when straight after the rally they started campaigning for the government to introduce move-on powers um, m- uh, like you know, more stringent move-on powers than exist for, mm. um, to be able to be used against people in rallies and protests and pickets So, because the police are dirty on the Andrews government for um, removing some of the move-on powers that they got under the last government. So, so I think um, I think we've got to watch that. And one of the right-wing Labour councillors actually mentioned he actually voted against council giving permits for marches, hmm. but said, um, "Oh, state government is going to deal with this, and they'll be introducing new laws very shortly." Hmm. So, I think we've got to watch out for that, um, so that we can. Uh, campaign around any kind of increase in <coughs> in police powers.
2: Mm. Well, that that sounds like a pretty good. No- it sounds um great that the council meeting went off um that way. Because yeah, I, I remember when I was hearing about, it, I was quite concerned that those motions were were going to pass. So look, sounds like another yeah. sort of positive news story to add to the radio program today. Right. All right, well, thanks for that, um, Sue Bolton. Um, it, gr- it was great to hear that report back on um, that recent council meeting.
1: Thanks. Thanks very much.
2: Cheers, Sue. We'll uh, catch you next time.
0: All right. All right. Uh, yes, Councillor Sue Bolton there. Uh, one thing I should mention, I'm actually running as a candidate for the Socialist Alliance in the seat of wills. I also volunteer here at 3CR. I'm not going to try and induce people to uh, vote for me. You can vote for whoever you want. Uh, if you do choose to vote for me, that's, that's up to you. Uh, but There is a policy here at 3CR and at all community radio stations when we're discussing federal uh, issues or federal candidates. So, for instance, Greens candidate for the seat of Wills, Sam Ratnam, was mentioned in that interview there with Sue Bolton. Uh, those candidates have right of reply. So if if Sam or anyone else who's running in the seat of Wills does want to ring up uh, Greenleaf Radio on a Friday or, or book in an interview, you're most welcome to do so. There's there's right of reply. It's all, all above board here at 3CR. We're not trying to silence anyone, lock lock voices out, distort yep. things. So
2: yep. Yeah. All right, so um next um in terms of news, um we've got an interview coming up in um 15- I think 15 to 10, 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, but for now, I'll, we'll, I'll talk about this, um, f- this is one of the feature articles, um, written in Greenleaf Weekly. Um, it, it's titled, um, it's written by Zebedee Parks and it's, um, titled Refugee Crisis Activism and Alternatives. Um, the article, um, discusses, you know, the history in, you know, um, after, you know, after the world in terms of like the, um, the situation with refugees. Um, after World War II um, the experience of um of the rejection of Jewish asylum seekers and the millions of people displaced across Europe due to World War Two led to the creation of the UN Refugee Convention um, in 1951, which said that any person fleeing persecution could come to a sanctuary country and seek protection. Um, up about 145 countries have signed the convention, including Australia. And since then, you know, numbers of countries have taken in refugee in Europe. Numerous of countries in Europe have taken. Um, have taken um, in refugees from many countries. An early example mm. was in 1956, um, uh, where 200,000 200, people fled from Hungary to Austria, which managed to resettle them within months. Um, Australia, in this case, is often lauded for accepting um, refugee re- Vietnamese refugees in the 1970s and 1980s, which was one of its first major acts as a signatory to this convention. Um, but now, what's sort of happening? Um, this article looks at what's you know what's happening now. You know, in terms of refugee crisis, um, um, the UNHCR's World at War report said in 2014 there were 19.5 million refugees and close to 16 million refu- um, people displaced by conflict conflict, the vast majority of refugees are living in refugee camps in countries such as Lebanon, which has 1.2 million refugees in a population of 4.4 million. Some, um, you know, refugees have been living in camps for three generations. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's also, um, the rights here that, you know, climate change will, you know, force about 150 million people to leave their homes by 2050, according to the Environmental Justice Report. While there's no official category in the Refugee Convention for climate refugees, when islands are sinking, people will need to go somewhere. Um, in, in, uh, but obviously many probably listeners know that, you know, Australia ha- clearly probably has not been fulfilling its obligations, its Kind, current kind of policy of refugees who are coming by boat is to um, turn them back or to um, put, put them in, in, in a, camp. an offshore detention centre such as Manus Island, Nauru and Christmas Island. Um, because of this, <laughs> um, there's actually been some... The actions of European governments have actually been starting to get which is a bit troubling, have been starting to be expired by Australia's detention, um, system. Um, um, you know, offshore, o- offshore detention centres, resettlement programs in the Island have led to children being sexually harassed and abused. At least one assault of a child is brought every 13 months, 13 days. Um, women are sexually assaulted, but police refuse to take effective action and no one yet has been sexually persecuted. Um, while, you know, in the light of this, while the, um, the article goes on to say, you know, while there's, um, while governments across the world are intent on acting in the interests of, of the rich and powerful, there's a growing people's movement for refugee um, rights. There are protests, you know, held in the Australian detention centres. Um, um, the, the daily protests in Nauru detention centre have been held for nearly 100 days. One protest banner. Reads. Don't stop the boats by killing us offshore. Mm. Protests are also continuing on Manus Island, where the Australian government continues to disregard a PNG Supreme Court order to close the centre. Protests there held a banner that reads, "Free the political prisoners of Australia," and to, and like going across into Australia. Um, there's activists travel for day, de- um, in Australia, activists travel for days through the desert to protest outside detention centres and make connections with asylum seekers. There, there's, um, a growing kind of boycott and divestment, uh, divestment campaign to, you know, organise boycotts of corporations that profit from the detention ent- industry. Um, on February 3rd, um, 3rd, um, the government won a high court case allowing it to deport 260, 267 asylum seekers in Aru. Teachers, nurses, um, musicians, Aboriginal people, church groups, mothers' unions, sporting teams, high school students, artists, and many more protested in their workplace, polit- politicians' office, and on the streets. Say, "Let them stay." Um, this protest, you know, culminated into, in the, in the community ritual at Lady Clientele Hospital and Lady Clientele Children's Hospital in Brisbane, where medical staff refused to discharge baby Asha to immigration officials if she was to be sent to Nauru. So far, none of the, at this point, so far, none of the 267 asylum seekers have been returned to Nauru. Hmm. Um, on June, another thing that sort of happened, June 2nd, mothers of refugees occupied Prime Ministers Malcolm Turnbull's office in Sydney when, while activists in Melbourne blockaded, uh, Wilson car park, which Wilson, um, for the information listeners, has security con- is um, the security contract for detention centres in Nauru and Manus? Basically, they um, they're, the, what, they're, empo- they're the employers of the security guards at Nauru and um, Manus. And um, yet, there's also in Europe, in the face of you know far right um, parties whipping up xenophobia towards asylum seekers and governments spending millions, billions barricading their borders. Citizens across Europe are welcoming refugees um early this year 16 volunteer networks in the greek islands who have been diving into the water to rescue refugees and give them food and shelter when they landed were nominated for the nobel Priest prize um small towns have filled trucks with um donated supplies fishers have rescued refugee boat boats volunteer organizations are offering shelter running kitchens and developing software to assist with locating rescuing boats and you know there are people across europe are also standing up in in the same way that many Australians are, against their government's refugee policy. In March, thousands came out in protest in major cities across Europe in refugee camps. A banner read, we are sl- um, in, in the Indomini camp, in camp, read, we are slowly dying here. There's a sharp divide between the economic elite who are preparing for a growing refugee crisis made worse by war and climate change by pulling patrol bridges on their armed fortress and people across the world who are willing to ref- welcome refugees. Yeah, um, the art, one of the major kind of sections of this article is, you know, is there an alternative to locking up refugees having been forced to leave their homes because of conflict and rhyme with change? Um, Zebedee argues that, you know, approaching the refugee crisis in terms of quotas is problematic because it creates a system where some claims are prioritised and others excluded. It runs the risk of prioritising claims based on economic necessity or country of origin, similar to, like, you know, that... Um, relates to, you know, what Peter Dunton said about, you know, refugees are economically illiterate, like creating this sort of, mm. um, this idea that, you know, refugees should only be accepted in our country if they can contribute meaningfully to society or they're literate. Mm. Um, you know, to start, you know, approach that, you know, approach, you know, alternative to resolving, you know, the, the refugee crisis and, it's to take into account why people flee and accept that everyone needs safety is required, you know. To start, countries should be taking responsibility to stop creating situations where people flee. Hmm. Um, we should end support, you know, for governments that persecute people, such as um, Australia's political and financing Backing of the regime in Sri Lanka. We should take serious action in climate change and their drive for profits from fossil fuel. And imperialist powers are in fact destroying the lives of people in poor countries that contribute least to climate change and lack the resource to cope with change. Um, we should provide safe pathways for people seeking asylum instead of forcing them to get on leaky boats. And what, you know, my alternative, you know, would be instead of saying stop the boats, won't we just, you know, stop them from getting on boats, you know, just fly these refugees in and accept them. I mean, even, you know, a politician like um, Clive Palmer apparently has that solution. He's a rich billionaire. And, you know, we should end all forms of detaining refugees. A number of um, alternatives put forward by different groups such as closing offshore detention centers, putting people into community um, t- t- detention imposing um Uh, imposing time limits on detention are still in effect, you know, continuing the detention system. Um, because for something, a bit of a history that's actually not in this article, um, it was actually, um, in Australia, it was actually poor Keating, um, that introduced mandatory Mm. detention. Mm. But back in that time, it was only community kind of detention centres, like, Mm. you know, broad, like, you know, the Broadmeadows kind of, and Maribyrnon detention centres they're found in Victoria. Um, under the Gillard government, that's when offshore detention started to be introduced. Mm. And then um and then Rudd introduced the no PNG solution. And I guess um under Abbott it was basically to effect of taking all those things that have been implemented previously and just making them more worse and even more humane, such as And um,
0: adding the turn back of the boats.
2: Yeah. And to, adding the turn back of the boats because of this rhetoric was the last federal election was fought on this, um, sort of rhetoric of stopping the boats. So we stopped the boats by turning them back and just putting them out of sight, out of mind. Hmm. Um,
0: the go away and die somewhere else policy. I've yeah. sort of
2: heard it referred to. And, you know, and so refi, I guess, um, uh, in terms of other trying of alternative put forward, the Greens have proposed a 30 day limits on detention, um, 30-day limits on detention while refugees are claims for but, you know, But why should, you know, the article raised the question, why should asylum seekers be locked up when tourist people who come for a or many other reasons do not have to? Um, I guess maybe to, to discuss something that I found interesting about that particular point, one of the rationales, I guess, for the sort of for holding up people in detention um, from, you know, from the major parties, and um, this is also just a general argument some that people kind of buy into, is this whole um, thing about the security threat that refugees apparently propose. So you need to actually assess them. You need to keep them in detention so you can assess whether they're a security threat or not. But I guess the article's raising the question, well, in theory, anyone could be a security threat to this country. Same with Tura. Tour. What makes a tourist any less of a um a security threat than a refugee. Um, and, um, then there's a the question well, if a, ter- wouldn't, why would a, why would a terrorist, uh, because there was a claim thrown around that, um, that re- terrorists were masquerading as refugees, but if you were a terrorist organization, why would you masquerade as a, a refugee when you have to go through all this strict security process that you'll probably get find out through the process? Yeah.
0: And if you've got access to a bunch of oil money, which last time I checked, Daesh controlled a bunch of oil fields that were selling that oil on the black markets. Al-Qaeda has members of the Saudi royal family, like some bin Laden involved. It's not like uh, some of these Islamic fundamentalist organizations are short of cash. So yeah, that's exactly right.
2: Um, so yeah, the concluding kind of point of the article is um, that refugees, um, you know, should be housed into the community while their claims are processed and given full citizenship rights, including access to health, education, welfare, and workers' rights. That's the alternative. That's the alternative um, that it's arguing over this sort of mandatory detention, mm. regardless of whether it's and down of all offshore and detention centres. You know, the chant the shant, you know, open the borders, close the camps, free the refugee, encapsulates the kind of attorney. For real.
0: All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR. Alrighty. righty, uh, some news from the US of A this morning. The Verizon strike shows corporate giants can be beaten as workers score key wins. So 39,000 Verizon strikers returned to work in the U.S. on June 1 with their heads held high after a 45-day strike in which they beat back company demands for concessions on job security and flexibility. And uh, they won 1,300 additional union jobs and achieved a first contract at seven Verizon wireless stores. "'Walking into work the first day back, chanting, "'One day longer, one day stronger, was the best morning I've ever had at Verizon,' said Pam Galpern, a field tech and mobiliser with the communication workers local 1101. "'There was such a tremendous feeling of accomplishment. "'People were smiling and happy. "'It was like a complete 180-degree difference from before the strike.'" The CWA and Electrical Workers (IBEW) won a ten and a half percent wage rise over four years, increased contributions to their pensions, protections against outsourcing of call centre jobs, and a reversal of the subcontracting of some pole work. So uh, once again, direct action gets the goods, and it's great to see this uh, update from over in the U.S., where the uh, yeah telecommunications workers. Have gone on strike and they 've they 've won their campaign in the face of a whole bunch of mudslinging and, and demonization in the media
2: all right so um we have another interview now on um, we're going to be interviewing um, Sarah who's a youth ambassador um, at Headspace um, new research um, reveals that um, 52% of young Australians with mental health problems are too embarrassed to discuss the problem and uh, you know every year a quarter of all young people experience mental health issues and one forward of those will not speak to help them so in light of this Headspace launch it has launched the big stigma campaign to encourage people to tear down the stigma associated with mental illness and that's what what Sarah's um, here to talk um, to, just talk with us about. Um, so, hello, Sarah.
1: Hello.
2: All right. So, um, I guess the w- um, first question I guess to ask, you know, can you, what can you tell us um, about this um, big um, Sigma campaign that um, Headspace is um, doing?
3: Awesome. Yeah. We so we acknowledge that there is a stigma around mental health where there really shouldn't be. It should be something that we're able to freely get help for and improve our lives and not have to worry about seeking help or talking to other people. So what we've done is we've created a physical uh, big stigma, much like the big pineapple or the big banana, and it's at Spencer Street Station and you can actually come and tear a piece of it down to symbolise you making an oath to to uh, not hold stigma against yourself or towards other people who are living with a mental illness.
2: Um, and then, yeah. Oh, I Can you on? I so, uh, so you finished then.
3: <laughs> no, um, and then on Tuesday the fourteenth of June. So the stigma, like the physical stigma, would be broken down by the end of today at Spencer Street Station um, in Melbourne. But then on Tuesday the fourteenth of June, there's going to be an online big stigma that people can go online to to break down themselves.
2: So um, I guess I guess the next question is, you know, wh- wh- why is there, you know, why do you think, you know, um, and in terms of like your personal opinion and, you know, what the research is, why do you sort of think there's such a stigma, you know, surrounding mental illness?
3: I think the stigma has been around for a long time, and I think stigma tends to come out when people don't understand something. Um, so that's why we're trying to build people's understanding of different mental illnesses and how they're very treatable, and how people who have a mental illness have a lot more going on in their life, and you know they're not just an illness, and that they can get better if they seek appropriate help. Um, So yeah, I really just think it comes from a lack of understanding, and I think the more people understand, the more the stigma will go away.
2: Um, You know, so how can we, you know, all help to sort of tear down this sort of stigma associated with mental mental illness?
3: Yeah, so you can either physically go and do it and go check out Headspace at the street station or visit uh, www.thebigstigma.com.au on uh, after Tuesday 14th of June or just in your day-to-day life, you know, you can really do research about what different mental illnesses are and then the more you know, the more you can um, acknowledge them in your real life. Like you might think that a friend of yours is being mean and, um, you know, always ditching you at the last minute, but you might actually realise that that person might be struggling with anxiety and, um, you know, finds that they can't go out. Sometimes, just things like that. The more you talk to people, and then also when, yeah, just educate yourself. I would say education would be the first step to reducing the stigma towards mental illness.
2: Well, in, well, one one of the serious things about stigma is it sort of, it says um, you know it's created you know due to sort of, you know widespread kind of ignorance, reduce and discrimination. And so, what what do you kind of think about those kind of free things in sort of relation to um, the stigma of mental illness?
3: Sorry, about like discrimination. Yeah, discrimination
2: Happen. and sort of ignorance and produce Where do you sort of, um, I guess, what do you think some of the causes of those things and like, you know, what are the cultural kind of factors, especially in our sort yeah. of Western society?
3: Yeah, good question. I think, again, it just goes back to that lack of understanding um, and lack of empathy. Uh, and maybe, who knows, it could go deeper and that we're also busy that we don't see what's going on with each other, but... I do think that um you know there's a lot of reasons why people might have a stigma. It could be um like cultural differences, it could be um uh, you know they just don't understand or they don't believe or they've had like a really bad experience themselves, or um you know there's so many reasons, but I really do think that um there shouldn't be a stigma towards mental illness. I think it should be as common what well, is as common as physical illness, and I think that we should um. You know, we should just support each other and just try and um, have empathy. I would say empathy is really important as well. And just, yeah, just listen to each other and understand as much as possible.
0: Hey, Sarah, this is um, Zane here. How's it going? Uh, Good. How are you, Zane? Not too bad. Um yeah one thing I was wondering, how is headspace equipped to i guess keep up with demand? Does everyone who approaches headspace uh, get get seen to, and have you got adequate resources as an organization
3: um like most health organisations, we could always do with more funding, that's for sure. We're definitely not uh, twiddling our thumbs. We're constantly <laughs> working. Our clinicians are constantly working and constantly seeing people. Um, and we try and keep up with the demand as much as we're funded to do. The thing with Headspace centres, oh, as well as having Headspace centres, we've also got an online resource called eHeadspace, where you can go on and chat to someone online through email or through online chat. And you can also call up. Um, I would say with Headspace centres, there's no wrong door. Like you can come in, and for example, say if what you're going through, there might be a different service that needs you. Like we can help you link in with that service
1: mm. so that
3: you get the appropriate care. So you can definitely come in, have a chat, no matter how old you are or what you're going through. Just have a chat to Headspace, um, especially if you you come by a centre, and we can help you kind of find where, like, the best, like, most appropriate care for you is. Okay.
0: And that's a pretty new development from Headspace, isn't it? Like, before Headspace was around, there wasn't such a kind of one-stop shop for for different kind of mental illnesses or, or the other related things that, that people might be struggling with.
3: Absolutely. Headspace, like, the reason why I work for Headspace is that it's an absolute game changer in terms of the mental health industry. Like, it's it's really shaking up the system to be um, a really effective, welcoming space where you can get the proper help you need that is tailored to the young person. Mm. So it's like putting the young person in the center of, you know, what is it that you need? you need, like, your family to be involved? Do you need, um, you know, occupational therapy? Or, you know, do you need this? Do you need that? Or do you need to see a doctor? You know, it's all... It's all kind of like Caleb made help and it's really personal and um and reflective of the community. So it's it's really great. It's a really great service.
2: I guess um to sort of the um the last question um to sort of t- um conclude this interview is you know, um how can you know people get involved in the campaign and where can, you know, they go for help or more information?
3: Yeah. So for help and more information, visit the website at um at headspace.com.au or .org.au and as of the 12th, on the 14th of June, head over to www.thebigstigma.com and of course you can use the hashtag thebigstigma, uh, you know, sharing on social media, like I've had a lot of friends and people that I know, like sharing their experiences and using the hashtag. And of course if you don't have a headspace center near you or you don't feel like going to a center, in person, you can go to www.eheadspace.com.au.
2: Nice, rip
0: right. it up. Oh, thanks yeah, for that. Yeah. In- oh, thanks for that
2: interview, Sarah. Uh, very, I've definitely found it informative, and hope our listeners, well, uh, our listeners, de- definitely have as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks keep yeah. the good
3: awesome. work. Thank you so much for yeah, having me, guys.
0: Bye. Thanks. All right. Okay. Green Left Radio. <laughs>
2: Yes, okay, so um, right now we are going to, um, before we get on to some, um, maybe a few short news stories before our last interview, um, I'm going to go through the activist calendar. It's the Green Left activist calendar.
0: Okay, so... Actually, something I always forget regarding the activist calendar is that you can buy physical hard copies of Green Left Weekly at Flinders Street Station every Friday afternoon. Yep. So if you're, if you're hanging for a paper, if you've been getting into some of the stories that you've heard, like a uh, uh, review of Zeb Parker's, um, Zebedee Parker's story about refugees and refugee politics, yep. drop in, Flinders Street Station, get yourself a paper.
2: And yep, we'll be, um, there, you, their store is ha- um, happens from 4 to 6pm every Friday at Flinders Street Station and we're almost impossible to miss. <laughs> um, get. So um on um Sunday the 12th of June um political asylum will be having um their monthly comedy night at the Brunswick Green which is at 313 Sydney Road in Brunswick. Um I think it features um Rod Quantock and Laura Davis um and um should in light of copy this you know coming federal election I'm sure there's actually probably a lot of humor to be had and uh, um about in regards to politics. Um, and the next thing would be on next week on Tuesday um, voice um, there will be a fundraiser for West Papua at FreeCR, um, which is a voice focused fundraiser for West Papua and FreeCR radio show. As part of the 2016 Radiofon Free CR station, the voice of West Papa with Rose Turtle Era is hosting a fundraiser gig. This gig presents a variety of artists ranging from singing, poetry, beatbox and more. Please come and show your support and help keep us on the air. $10 more if you can, less if you can't. And it will be happening at 7pm bar 303 three hundred and three High Street um, in Northcote. Um, on the next Saturday, um, there'll be, um, you know, that, uh, um, article about refugees that's gotten you motivated to sort of, you know, start protesting, take action. There will actually be a protest, um, next Saturday on the 18th of June at 1pm in, um, light of World Refugee Day, um, with the demands of close manners, close in a row, bring them here. It'll be happening at the State Library. At, in Swanson Street, and, be org- and it's organised by Refugee Action Collective. That's at 1pm on the Saturday, and 18th of June. Um, also, happening on, also happening on that night will be the Green Left Weekly, um, the Green Left, Comedy Debate, in the Green Left Comedy Debate in 2016. Look, which is titled "Looking for the Messiah in All the Wrong Places." It will have um, Rod Contact as the master serenades, with, um, with the feature comedians being Sean Bedlam, Gabe Hogan. Um, Shirley Hood, Kirsty Mack, Sophia Prince and Carlos Sands. It'll be starting at 6.30pm with an 8pm start, bar, dinner available and tickets will cost $50, $30 wage, $22 low wage, $12 concession. It's at the Brunswick Town Hall and it's a fundraiser for the Green Left Weekly. You can make, um, you can book your tickets, um, at either Shry Bookings or phone 96398622. Uh, um, and on on Thursday, the 23rd of June, there will be a public meeting, Left Q&A, election 2016. Um, it will be happening at the new International Bookshop on Thursday, the 23rd of June, 7pm. And it features, in terms of speakers, it features Robert Mann, um, who's a, a professor at La Trobe University. Our very own Zane Alcorn, uh, oh, speaking me. on behalf of Social Science with Candidate for the World, Janet Rice, Green Senator and Candidate. Andrian on Whitehead, um Save the Planet Senate ticket and um and uh, entry will be by donation and it's at seven PM Thursday, the twenty third of June, at the New International Bookshop. Um in Ballarat if any of our listeners live in Ballarat or live near Ballarat um, Social Science will be having um, their ele- uh, election launch um, at the 24th of June on Friday. Um, it will be an opportunity to meet the Senate tenants of Social Science be at 6 p.m. at the Trades Hall, 24 Camp Street, Ballarat. For info, phone 522269000. On for all the- those
0: Ballaratians out there,
2: <laughs> and I hope we have a few listeners in Ballarat um, on this. I morning. don't
0: know if this thing broadcasts it. Look. There's digital and online radio, but I think the actual AM tower, you'd be doing well if you're getting it up in
2: Ballarat. I actually, um, a bit of a side note, I actually used to live near the Ballarat area, and yet we never actually, the radio never worked. So when I moved ah. um, close to the city, and well, moved to Geelong, I was in shock when. The radio actually worked. <laughs> yeah,
0: so all these different stations.
2: Yeah. Um, back to the acti- last two items on the, um, like free items on the, on the, um, on the activist calendar. There's going to be at the new international bookshop again. There'll be a, if you want some, you know, radical literature or just books in general, they'll be having their big red book fair on the Saturday the 25th of June. It'll be all day happening from 10am to 5pm. Um, it'll be, which is at the, on the Saturday, the, June the 25th, New International Bookshop. And also, you can also go to a rally, um, on that day as well. Um, a, there'll be a rally for marriage equality now, pre election marriage equality, and it'll be on Saturday, 25th June, and, uh, but it'll be at 1pm at the State Library, and mm. it's organised by Equal Love. Cool. So you're and. You
0: stop in at Trade Tool at the New International Bookshop before mm-hmm. or after the Equal Love rally.
2: And so, um, there's actually, it seems to be during election time there's actually a lot of comedy happening because there's going to be another um, comedy night um, happening on, this time on Thursday the 30th of June at 7.30. It's the election special, Stand Up and Be Counted. Um, so Thursday 30th of June, do you feel anxiety and dread when you think of the looming election? Do you feel sick at the thought of the beckoning ballot box? Then join us for a night of comedy designed to cure even the worst cases of electoral dysfunction. That'll be at 7.30pm at 188 Collins Street City and it's presented by the Wheeler Centre in p- partnership with Political Asylum.
0: Cool. Alrighty. Uh, it's Greenleaf Radio. Did I mention? I think I did mention. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention it again. Alright. Uh, a bit of news from uh, a Basque TV executive who went to Venezuela and found out that far from food shortages, in the rich neighbourhoods there was actually an abundance of food. So, yes, Agustin Oxotorina, a Basque executive living in Caracas, grew tired of constant calls from friends and relatives in Spain, telling him that there was no food in Venezuela. So on May 20 He began publishing photos on Facebook of supermarkets in upscale sectors of Caracas filled with goods. As well as showing evidence of an abundance of foodstuffs, Oxo Torina analysed the situation. He concluded that there are two countries in Venezuela, one where there are people having a hard time who don't have the money to live, and another where there is an upper class that has a living standard higher than Europe. If you have money, there is champagne, vodka, Belgian chocolates, lobster, brand name clothes, exclusive restaurants, nightclubs, beaches, yachts, golf clubs, a whole country within a country where there are no poor women and children uh, uh, women and children are blonde, go to exclusive schools, exclusive universities, and vacations where blacks or poor are the waiters. He posts on his Facebook page he said that this phenomenon stems from corruption in import processes, subsidies and by the government and the existence of buying, reselling and smuggling of subsidised essential goods by Baja Queros, linked to Colombian pallet military groups. He explained that large retail chains such as Macro, Excelsior, Gamma or Plazas have their own import mechanisms. They import directly and work with the strongest private importers. These chains are then able to set their own prices to the value of the dollar. They're not regulated by the government. All other shops must turn to wholesalers and small importers which are regulated and distributed by the left-wing government and sold at subsidised prices. The basic basket products are regulated in bolivars at very low prices and are accessible to the working class. Oxo Torrina said while oil prices held, the Venezuelan government bought food in and everything and gave dollars to importers who basically defrauded the government By putting premiums in dollars and a thousand ways and means, corrupting officials to certify, for example, that they'd bought in three containers of auto parts when they'd only bought one in and passed it through customs three times. When the Venezuelan government closed the border with Colombia last year, the Bacaqueros began to buy subsidized commodities to resell to Venezuelans and to take out of the country. So, yes, it's an ongoing story there. And uh, there's another story from Max Agile, and it's looking at corporate media seeking to tip Venezuela over the edge. Failed state, economic and social collapse, battlefield clinics, humanitarian crisis, descent into chaos. These are the apocalyptic buzzwords being used to describe Venezuela and the Nicolas Maduro government in the Western press. Such coverage comes just after a constitutional coup d'etat dumped Brazilian President Dilma Rousseff of the Social Democratic Workers' Party from office. Uh, U.S. political elites are happy with this turn of events. As historian Greg Grandin writes, the U.S. now has compliant compradores in power in Argentina and Brazil, and perhaps soon in Venezuela. Some words you will rarely read in the media coverage of Venezuela include capital strike, economic sabotage, destabilization plan, coup d'etat, or others which provide a far more complete and accurate account of what's going on in the country and so yeah this article's looking at all that sort of um yeah economic sabotage and destabilization that's been happening in venezuela as that country tries to you know as as the working class pushes to build socialism and as the ruling class pushes back and so it's that age-old question of you can't build socialism in one country so there's this attempt to build up this alternative network of left countries throughout latin america but they're they're grinding up against the power of capital and it's an ongoing and unfinished and messy process and um, you can't just simply say oh look how." incompetent left-wing governments are there's not food in Venezuela because there's not food in Venezuela because there's sabotage happening. So yes, keep your eyes on Green Left because our coverage of Latin America is quite good, if I don't say so
2: myself. So on Green Left Weekly um, Radio, fortunately um, one of our planned interviews didn't seem to go ahead. I've just tried to repeatedly call him and... What yes. to a response? This is Peter Marshall, the secretary of the uh, United Firefighters Union. Yep. Um. Re- recently on Tuesday, there was actually um. Maybe to give a. I guess in, in its place, we'll give a bit of report back on sort of. Um. There was a big rally. Um. Of, um. Sort of by the United Firefighters Union, where they got in together basically to sort of stand in solidarity together, volunteers and career firefighters, all to sort of come together. Um, because in the Herald Sun, there's been this sort of big, sort of, um, you know, scare campaign around basically volunteer firefighters being kind of used as sort of like a political football. There's sort of divisions created between the volunteer firefighters and, um, the Career firefighters um, basically it comes off as basically sort of like the hell 's sun trying to attack unions and would have been great to sort of hear peter marshall 's kind of perspective on you know how that's hap- what 's been happening and what the actual reality um, is, um, but he has written a sort of open letter to all the CFA volunteer firefighters. Um, um, you know, dear fellow firefighters, we're right out of concern because they're people trying to defy, ride firefighters through political interference and blatant mistruths. In October last year, the CFA referred the Firefighters Workplace Agreement to Fair Work after six months of listening to the parties the independent umpire ruled last week to settle the dispute. The U FU had made more than 120 bargaining concessions at the Fair Work Commission. Firefighters accept the Fair Work recommendation and re- reject the misinformation being disseminated to upset volunteers. Um, Fair Work Commissioner Roy pointed out several times that the recommendation does not affect, um, volunteer firefighters. In his own words, the role of firefighters, volunteers in fighting fire, bushfires and maintaining community safety and delivering high quality service to the public in remote and regional areas and integrated stations is not altered by this agreement. We value the relationship between queer firefighters and volunteers and are concerned that outside interests are attempting to drive a wedge between us for political gain. We do not believe that firefighters should be used as a political football we hope that you respect the bargaining process for our workplace agreement and we respect your volunteer charter. In addition to the big lie that our agreement is designed to take over the CFA and we wish to address some of the other popular misconceptions about the agreement and put them to bed once and for all.
0: Hang on, I'll be the the Herald Sun and I'll be putting these allegations, which are being refuted point by point. So, Allegation there must be seven career firefighters at every CFA
2: fire in Victoria before any firefighting can begin. Well, the truth um, in Pierre Marshall's response is that at at 31 of the 34 anti-grade stations, that's 31 out of uh, 1,200 CFA fire stations, seven career fighters will... Korea firefighters will be dispatched to fires that they are attending. Whoever arrives first, volunteer or career will immediately begin the firefight if the, if the first responding vehicle advises that the matter is under control. Other shocks will be recalled. Hmm. Allegation, a UFU veto over clothing and equipment. Um, the truth is the UFU will be allowed consultation as it happens in many entries. There's, there's a dispute resolution officer if the parties don't agree. Sometimes, as with structural PPC, the benefits won by the, the UFU flow to volunteers too.
0: Allegation, career and volunteer crews can't share trucks.
2: Well, the truth of that is they can, they do, and they will continue to do so.
0: Allegation, paid staff only to report to paid staff.
2: The show volunteers can continue to be uh, incident controllers if it occurs and present. Um, the grant clearly f- um, allows staff to report the incident controller to incident controllers who are volunteers. Allegation: No new
0: appliances without
2: UFU approval. Um, the process for volunteer proc- um, recruitment, including app- appliances, remained unchanged. So yeah, and he concludes this letter in mention of that rally that happened on Tuesday today. You know, Korea um, and volunteer firefighters stood together in the rain outside Parliament House to speak up against the. Politicalisation of our enterprise agreement negotiations with the CFA, just as we stood up to end the disgraceful cover-up at Fiskville, just as career and um, volunteer firefighters proudly stand shoulder-to-shoulder to to protect our communities. After three years of negotiations and an independent ruling from the Fair Work Commission, it is time for this to end. Firefighters must be united to fight fires and not each other. Thank you for your support, yours in unity.
0: Hmm. And there's a... uh, If you go to the United Firefighters Union... Um, Australia website There's a report Called Firefighters and Climate Change, the human resources Dimension of adapting to climate Change, so there's quite A uh, lengthy report There, which has been prepared By the National Institute of Economic and Industry, Industry Research And it's well worth A read, and the executive Summary says Australia faces challenging times as it seeks to remodel emergency services to provide a more unified, comprehensive approach, while at the same time dealing with a rise in more extreme events resulting from climate change. So I won't read out the whole summary, but I think it's really interesting that a big aspect of this whole thing which the Herald Sun are going hell for leather to attack the Firefighters Union, such an important dimension of these changes that the union are pushing for is to make sure that there's adequate resources to tackle these massive bushfires and extreme weather events that are going to increasingly happen as a result of climate change and that we're already starting to see.
2: And yeah, what also makes me, another very sort of cynical thing um, is that Malcolm Turnbull um, because you know, some group of volunteers have been, you know, protesting against the union and um, Malcolm Turnbull was actually seen um, at one of these protests at this process, you know, shaking the hands of all the volunteer firefighters and it made me very cynical because ultimately what, what since when did Malcolm Turnbull care about firefighters and especially volunteer firefighters? Like when, when has the Liberal government in the past wholeheartedly supported, um you know, mm. fight the rights of firefighters? Yeah, I
0: think it was you that was telling me. And didn't they announce this at the rally that the previous Liberal government in Victoria cut the uh,
2: funding to the CFA? Yes, um, and that's so it's like. I guess, um, the Liberal
0: turn around and try and pretend that they're the CFA's best friend. I
2: guess, in the light of these sort of divisions that have been sort of happening between the volunteers and, um, the career firefighters and the union, um, the Liberal government is trying to play into that just so they can push their sort of anti union kind Mm. of centre because of, because the Liberal Party is the one that's trying to push, um, Mm. the ABCC or is it the Mm. AC? Yeah the um,
0: Australian building and construction commission
2: yeah it's just another it's just more another way for the liberal government to attack unions mm. um, and to you know take advantage um, it's basically very exploitive and very I would consider opportunist mm. so um, going back to um, fortunately yeah we couldn't have that interview so we apologize to all listeners we um, but um in in its place we'll have a bit more news um in the interna- in international kind of room, this is an article in the latest Green Left Weekly um, titled Turkish and Syrian re- Regimes Unite Against the Kurdish-Led Struggle for um, Democracy. Um, it, um, this is an article written by Aram um, Shoswar. Sh- if I'm pronouncing that name correctly, I don't know. <laughs> it's a bridge from the Kurdish question. Um, states that, you know, the Syrian Kurds and the Allied communities declared their areas the Federation of Northern Syria and Rojava on March and announced that, demo, that democratic federalism is a viable alternative to the differential de- politics of both the Syrian regime and the jihadist opposition. Um, they have called on to the international community um, on the same day to support the establishment of the federation as a project that would pave the way for the formation of a democratic federal Syria, arguing that democracy, the revolution of power and diversity can end the sectarian civil war that has destroyed the country for more than five years. Um, but, you know, all the major players involved in the bloodbath of the Syrian um, civil war, except for Russia, has rejected the move to save what is left of the war-torn country and secure a democratic future. Um, rejection of the federalism project, you know, has turned into a focal point for unity among or, almost all the opposing forces involved in the Syria civil war, ruling that these forces are not so different from one another when it comes to their shared racism. Um, the Syrian government and the country's main opposition, who have been at war for more than five years, quickly united in rejecting the Kurdish-led federalism, saying it would result in the partition of their country. Turkey called the move separationist terrorism and threatened to invade Rojava and annihilate the Kurds. Um, I guess this sort of shared fear over the move forever and eventually resulted in Anaka and Danaka's beginning a process of discrete talks in Algeria to unite around an anti-Kurdish agenda, despite their deep differences over all else on Syria's civil war. Um, the discrete civil um, talks in um, Algeria has since resulted in the 17th um, deadly attacks by the Turkish and Syrian states against Rojira and the Kurdish-led movement. Turkey has increased its artillery attacks against Syrian Kurdish civilizations and the Turkish army has been busy building walls and trenches on the Rojava border to cut the region off from the neighbouring Kurdish region in Turkey. Um, oh yes, Turkish-backed um, jihadist um, camp- opposition groups have led an intensive military campaign of indiscriminate in- bombings, killing and wounding hundreds of Kurdish civilians, particularly affecting children. Um... International, uh, international um, or human rights organisations said that the Turkey-backed GIs have been using chemical weapons in their indiscriminate bombardments of civilians in Chekhov Mosul. Meanwhile, Syrian government troops and militias attacked Kurds in Brojo's unofficial capital right after negotiation with Turkey had begun in Jura. I guess several days of deadly clashes between Syrian government troops and Kurdish fighters resulted in Kurdish fighters capturing more territories from the Syrian government and taking over the and al-Khanoush. Al- al- um, and I guess the Kurds have like compared this, um, the, the, uh, Anaka Dama- Dakamas discrete talks in Algiers to the 1975 Algiers agreement between the then regional rivals, Iran and Iraq, which put a bloody end to a five year official Kurdish autonomy in northern Iraq. Um, the 1975 Algiers agreement meant that, that then Iraqi and Iranian governments put aside their differences so that the central government had Bajin Baghdad could put an end Kurdi, to Kurdish autonomy in Iraq. Despite the bitterness that existed between the two countries, they had no qualms uniting against the Kurds. Iran um, Ar- 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 condemned, condemned the Syrian Kurds and said that their self-declared federalism is a violation of Syrians' territorial integrity. Likewise, the Sunni-led Arab League and the Gulf states led by Saudi Arabia also rejected the Syrian-Kurdish move and described their attempt to establish democracy and the an attempt to split Syria." Um, I guess this the article sort of writes that, you know, the anti Kurdish agenda uniting these two regional rights is deeply roo- rooted in the arguably fascistical denial of the democratic rights of the Kurdish people of Rojava. Um in history, you know, the Kurdish people have always been sort of denied their own right for, you know, self determination and independence. Um and the U.S. has also joined the saudi led Sunni camp and the Iran led Kurds in rejecting the Syrian-Kurdish political proposal for the establishment of democracy and federalism in Syria. U.S. officials have since made it clear that they will not politically back the Kurdish-led project, although the the, the U.S. continues actually to militarily back whichever as its most effective ally on the grounds of fighting and defeating ISIS. It seems political support is one step too far. So what what's happening is, um, I guess... The U.S. It, it, it gets complicated because you know the U.S. Um, is not supporting you know the, the the Kurds are currently you know fighting for like you know in Rojava for a better world, um, a world where sort of a, a, a kind of a cartoon into kind of capitalism and sort of the sort of rampant kind of sectarianism that and war that's happening in um, in Middle East, but. The U.S. is only supporting it because they're fighting against ISIS. Yet they actually don't; they're not willing to politically also support what they're what they're doing, what they what the kind of alternative that they're building. Um, I guess it seems in this article it says that Russia has so far remained as the only country willing to politically back the Syrian Kurds in their call for a federal, democratic Syria. But it's really not clear how long this will last and how faithful Moscow will remain to the Syrian Kurds of Ajo, given that Kremlin also has strategic allies with. Denmark, The Makres and Tehran. Mm. Um, And on the sort of topic of, you know, Kurdish autonomy, the the 1975 Algiers Agreement um, led to, um, I guess, conclude this is, you know, given that today's um, Kurds have proved, um, practically those based in Rojava have proved themselves as the world's only hope on the ground to defeat ISIS, Al Qaeda, and all those forces that use unprecedented target to target. So it is safe to say that the Kurds cannot be dismissed any longer.
0: Mm. Yes, and, uh, yeah, it's been interesting too this week. The German parliament has officially recognized the Armenian genocide as a genocide and mm. recognized that the German military at the time played a role in, uh, in committing that genocide. Mm. And the, uh, the Turkish government of, uh, Erdogan is foaming at the mouth, absolutely <laughs> furious about this. And it's not hard to see why, when they're basically on the verge of, you know, doing the same thing to the Kurds as yep. what was done to the Armenians back what, in the day. But they've been
2: being, continuously being doing actually to them for the Kurds for years. I mean, yeah. there's been this denial of their language. They've, I mean, it's been illegal to it was illegal illegal to speak Kurdish in their own communities. So yeah.
0: And interestingly, Erdogan, the uh, Turkish right wing president has accused the German government of of, of Germany of of, uh, materially supporting Daesh or ISIS, Mm. (laughs) which is, I think, a classic example of uh, what psychologists call projection, Mm. where you project your own issues onto someone else. There's heaps of evidence of Turkey turning a blind eye, To Daesh smuggling oil across the border into Turkey, selling it, and then bringing back people and weapons. And, uh.
2: So I guess it's, um, we're almost running, um, well, running out of time now. So. That's it. Yeah. I
0: hope the BZE crew turn up. Are they there? BZE, where are you? Beyond Zero. Yeah. Maybe they're uh, having a week off and we'll be playing it off dinner set. All right, well, this has been Green Left Radio yeah. once again. Thanks, Jacob.
2: Yep, thank you. And um, apologies to the listener that we weren't able to get that um, final interview in, and so the last sort of section probably wasn't as polished as it probably should have been because it was planned to be a space for an interview.
0: Hmm. All right, and, uh, yeah, so we've been broadcasting live to you once again from the Coolin uh, Nation. And yeah. This has been Great Life Radio.